am Aurora, and tonight's Bible reading comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. From Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church in Thessalonica, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Grace and peace to you from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul talks about God's judgment. We must always thank God for you, and we should do this because it is right. It is right because your faith is growing more and more. <coughs> and, and the love that every one of you has for each other is also growing. So we boast about you to the other churches of God. We tell them about the faith you... We tell them about the way you continue to be strong and have faith. You are being treated badly and are suffering many troubles, but you continue with strength and faith. This is proof that God is right in his judgment. God wants you to be worthy of his kingdom. Your suffering is for that kingdom and God will do what is right. He, he ha, will give trouble to those who trouble you. And he will give peace to, to you people who are troubled and to us also. <coughs> God will give us this help when the Lord Jesus is showing from, to us from heaven with his powerful angels. He will come from heaven with burning fire to punish those who do not know God. This will, he will punish those who do not obey the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those people will be punished with a destruction that continues forever. They will not be allowed to be with the Lord and they will be kept away from his great power. This will happen on the day when the Lord Jesus comes to receive glory with his holy people. And all the people who have, been, who have believed will be amazed at Jesus. You will be in that group of believers because you have believed what we told you. That is why the, we always pray for you. We ask God, our God, to help you, but you live the good way that he called you to live. The goodness you have makes you, you want to do good, and the faith you have makes you work. We pray that with his power, God, God will help you do these things more and more. We pray all this so that the name of our Lord Jesus can have glory in you and you can have glory in him. That glory comes from the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Aurora. Well, guys, I have more stuff than I normally have up here. Um, I'm unfortunately one of those people who have had their glasses smashed, 
So um, it's going to be interesting. I'm going to appear as an old man, I think. I think this is safest, but these are only reading glasses, so they'll have to sit here so I can talk to you as well as read the Word. So we're going to continue in our series on Thessalonians. We move into 2 Thessalonians this evening. And 2 Thessalonians is basically something that Paul has written to reassure the Thessalonian church that Jesus has, in fact, not come yet. There was this stuff going around saying that Jesus had, in fact, returned already and that uh, they'd missed the boat in a lot of ways and then he also wanted to write to strengthen these guys in the midst of the persecution and everything that they were facing they were still going to face a lot of opposition and they were continuing to face that opposition as they had faced in 1 Thessalonians and so that was continuing and in fact Paul warns that it's going to get worse it's not actually going to get better and he also wanted to address the problem of a lot of these people in the Thessalonian church who had actually stopped working some of them had stopped working because they believed that Jesus was coming back right here right now it's going to happen like this and there were some who just jumped on board and didn't work because they were happy to be lazy and so they were just bludging off the more wealthy people that were within church so Paul addresses that in 2nd Thessalonians so this evening uh, we're just going to be looking at chapter 1 and the rest of that will actually come out in the coming weeks but before we do that let's pause and pray don't mind her Father God, we want to thank you for your presence with us this evening. We thank you that we've been able to worship you in music and song. We thank you, Lord, that we are gathered as a people who dearly love you. And Father, our desire tonight is to hear from you. Our desire is that we'll engage with your word. So will you please reveal your truth to us? Will you give us open hearts, open minds to hear what you have to say? We pray this now, Father, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Very good. So the first point I want to talk about this evening is thanksgiving for God's grace. This is how Paul begins to address the church. And in 2 Thessalonians, it's much the same as his first letter where he says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And he expresses this heartfelt thanks to God for the blessing that God is pouring out upon the church. And Paul gives two reasons for this thanksgiving. The church's faith is growing abundantly, as it says there. And each one of them is growing in their love towards the other. And these are the very things that Paul was praying for back in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. And what we need to realize is, that Paul is moved to thank God. It's not out of obligation, as some have interpreted this to be. It's not something that he felt um, prompted to do. But he does it because of his incredible gratitude of the work that God is actually doing through this church. If you remember, when he left, he was afraid that they would lose their faith. They wouldn't have enough principles to stand upon. And what he heard was that their faith was increasing, which is what he questioned. But not only was their faith increasing, they were also loving each other and loving each other to such a degree that the community around them began to see this incredible love that they had and the community itself was moved by it and these people were being added to the number of those in the Thessalonian church simply because of the way that they loved each other and so Paul is thanking God for the incredible work that God is doing through these people and remember back in 1 Thessalonians 3 3 and 4 it speaks about the afflictions and the persecution that this church was facing they were being hammered they had a lot of opposition and this was no doubt continuing at the time of the writing of this letter. 
But what is happening to them doesn't seem to be hindering them growing in faith towards God. Their faith continues to grow. And in fact, it appears that even in the midst of this struggle, their love continues to grow for their fellow man as well. Indeed, for those who are actually some of them that are persecuting and prosecuting them. So their present circumstances appear to be one of the reasons why they are increasing in faith and they are increasing in love. They are coming to depend more and more upon God and less upon themselves and their own abilities. And so they're being strengthened in those areas. And Paul then mentions another reason for why he gives thanks to God for the church. And 1 Thessalonians 1.4 Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. And the therefore, you know me by now, the therefore is there to ask what's it there for. Okay, so it's pointing back to what Paul has just said. The church's faith is growing as their love for each other is growing as well. And because of this, Paul boasts about them because they are remaining steadfast in their faith. In the midst of all the persecution and affliction they're facing, they are standing firm. And the overarching theme here is that the people are growing spiritually. If Paul was writing this letter to SDBC, do you think he'd say the same thing? Do you think he'd be saying that he sees that we are growing spiritually? Do you believe that he'd look at our church and see the way we treat each other and declare... To God, his incredible gratitude for how we love each other and how we build each other up in the faith, how we strengthen each other in our Christian walk. And would he say that what we do is so outstanding that the community is being impacted simply because of the way we live and the way we love each other? You see, the sad thing is, for many people, this concept of spiritual growth is something they don't fully understand. When we talk about spirituality, you either have it or you don't have it. There doesn't seem to be any indication that there should be spiritual growth. It's not a concept we seem to talk about or understand. And it's almost like we don't get it. It's an alien thing to us. And you know, I'm sure that some of you have heard people say or you've had people say to you, I wish I had your faith. You know, it's almost like a commodity, something that you buy, you know, I wish I had your coloured hair. People say that to me all the time. They mightn't say they wish they had as much hair as me, but um, there you go. And the other term that we hear a lot is, I have lost my faith. Not like broken glasses, but maybe like lost glasses, my spare pair. You know, it, it's just it's like this thing, you know, you can put it down, you can pick it up. It, 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 there's no real realisation that our faith is something that we need to nurture and grow. Faith is this relationship of trust in God. It's about leaning on and depending upon Him. It's a dynamic thing. It's something that needs to be nurtured. And it's this growth in faith and love that Paul saw being lived out in the Thessalonian church. And it caused him to praise and thank God. And we know that there's varying levels of faith because Jesus said both these things. In Matthew 8, 26, He said, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then Matthew 8.10, this verse always blows me away. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, 
with no one in Israel have I found such faith. He's talking about the centurion here and John the Baptist was still alive and yet Jesus is saying he has never seen the faith that this centurion has expressed. It's mind-blowing stuff. So it's clearly evident that faith is something that has to be nurtured and grown. And in order for that to happen for each and every one of us, we have to be active. We've got to be willing participants in this. We've got to be doing the things that help us to grow our faith. And it's the same when it comes to the love, biblical love that we speak about. It involves a living relationship. And first and foremost, it's with God and it's God who gives the type of love that he talks about in scripture I couldn't love people the way that I do now if it hadn't been for God in fact I'd possibly be pretty aggro with some of you and I'd possibly be slashing some tires it's better than having a confrontation most of you are bigger than me and so God pours this love and grace into us and we stand in that love and grace continuously and when we are willing to accept that love and grace for what that love and grace really represents, it flows out of us to others. And it is something that you can't contain. It's something that is inexplainable. And it's something that we need to be stewards of in a lot of ways. We are God's ambassadors on this earth. We are called to be his representatives. And we need to love as God loved because no one else will. And we need to be that expression of that love. And there's another aspect here that's important as well. When we look at this church, it was continually under persecution. It was facing opposition all the time. And the term that we'd possibly use is they're doing hard yards or they're doing things tough. And people are continually pushing back against them and they are facing prosecution. Some will be thrown in jail. Some would be um, beat up and it's not because of who they are or what they've attained but it's because of their relationship with God and the thing is Paul says I'm boasting about you I'm telling others about the incredible things that is happening in through and around you and Paul isn't boasting to them about them. Paul is boasting about what God is doing through them. Paul is saying God is doing a great work in this place and these people are being obedient to God. And as a result of being obedient, he's able to work through them more and more and they are having an impact. God is doing a great work. And so Paul's boast is not so much about the people, their obedience is involved in that, but he's boasting about what God is doing because these people are receptive. And so the question here is, what should we, our attitude be to those who are faithfully serving? What should our attitude be to the disciples of God in our midst today? Each and every one who calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Have you ever thought about encouraging someone because of how they serve? And I want you to think in very broad terms when we think about service. You know, there are people who do so many things. I'll give you an example about a guy. This, this guy's an incredible guy. Um, I'll give you a brief background about him. Uh, he, he was caught in a cane fire in northern New South Wales when he was a young man. He threw himself face down uh, between the rows. The fire passed over him. He had horrendous burns. He is incredibly, incredibly scarred. 
And while he was at his worst, he met his wife. What an incredible woman. She nursed him to health. My uncle actually nursed this guy to health, I found out, years and years later. And he was in our church. And this was a guy who dearly loved the Lord. He always had that quietly spoken word to anyone who needed encouragement. He never had a bad thing to say about anyone. He wasn't bitter at the world, and some would say he had a right to be. And he's just such a gracious man. And he got sick. And we all knew he got sick. And, and he was away for a while. And we prayed for him because we realized he was gone. But then suddenly we noticed this stench at the church. And it was like, what is that putrid smell? And that's when we realized that this guy had been empty in the bins for the last decade or so. And none of us knew that. It was just something that happened that I suppose we attributed to the fairies because we had no idea who was doing it. We didn't even realize it needed to be done until the man was gone. And there's so many things that people do in, through and around us that have a huge impact upon us as a church. But when we think about that actual task, it's insignificant. I mean, putting the rubbish out, that's not a task to be noted for. But I tell you what, we missed him. We really missed him. It got ugly. Glad I didn't have to sort that out. But have you ever thought about encouraging someone? It goes something like this. I thank God for you, brother or sister. Use their name. I thank him for the gifts he has given you, for his grace in your life what I see in you of the love and peace of Jesus. This is a word to encourage people in their Christian walk. And when we think about people who are doing it tough, there are so many people who are on the brink of leaving their church, whether it be here or elsewhere. And some people have left the church because they felt they weren't achieving anything. They felt they weren't having an impact. They felt that God wasn't using them because they didn't see results. And sometimes it's just that little word of encouragement that makes all the difference. So if you notice people around you who are doing something, think about the people who may have spoken one word to you. They may have been a disciple of you. They may have been a mentor who encouraged you. They may have been a kids' church teacher. Many, many things. It may be someone on stage who particularly impacted you it could be the guys on the PA and PC up the back all tasks and roles that are desperately needed in this church which we take with great significance could be the people in the kitchen and who is it that puts the rubbish out here kitchen people there you go give them a thanks you know what guys I'm gonna give you five minutes I want you to get your phones out if you think of people you can text just to say thank you for who you are and for serving the Lord I want you to do that if there's someone here tonight who has encouraged you Get, off your, get up off your feet, on your feet, sorry. Go and thank them. Don't be scared. It's all right. Think about the people who serve here. It's pretty sad if no one's got anyone to thank.
I got this distinct advantage in being up here. I, I've seen lots of stuff going on, which is very encouraging. And it's interesting too, you know, these guys didn't move, but there was quite a few. I don't know what they were saying, but it was being said, so that's good. Awesome. Don't forget that. You know, sometimes you're at home. could be a crazy hour of the night or day. And God puts some... Well, you, someone's name comes to mind. Send something to them. Phone them. Pray for them. Encourage them. That's God prompting you. And what's the damage if it wasn't? We need to be encouraging, strengthening, upholding, praying for each other. And I've got to tell you, I'm incredibly privileged to be able to pray for heaps of people. I think at the moment I'm averaging about 40 a week. And it's just incredible to be praying for that volume of people. It's, it's, it takes time. But it's great to be able to be praying for those volume of people. And so many people are sharing deep things that are happening in their life. And so many of those people would possibly not stay if they didn't have one, someone to share that burden with. And if we continually encourage each other, you know what? Next time they've got a problem, maybe they don't come to a pastor. Maybe they come to you because they can trust you because you, you've seen God working in their life and they want to be able to share with someone who can encourage them again and strengthen them and keep them going. So don't forget that, guys. Okay, so that's, that's the first point. Thanksgiving and grace that uh, Paul was talking about. Second thing was that he's given them instruction and encouragement for the present time. And Paul moves into this section about God's righteous judgment. And 2 Thessalonians 1.5 says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. I think it's really interesting. When we think about judgment, we always think about the negative, don't we? When someone judges, it's about persecution and prosecution. Would most of us agree with that? Because that's not what this is saying. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. It's speaking about the bit that we've just covered and the lives that these guys are living. But Paul is saying what is happening to you in Thessalonica is evidence of God's righteous judgment. And if you have NIV in front of you, it would say that God's judgment in right for this particular verse. And when we think about the afflictions and the persecution that the church is actually facing, there could be many ways of interpreting where that's coming from, that hostility. It could be attacks on God's people by those who are hostile towards God. It could be punishment for the sins of believers. But Paul says in the midst of the persecution, the Thessalonian church is growing and increasing. And this is a sign of God's blessing. God is pouring his blessing out upon them, and that's why they're growing and increasing. So the focus should not be so much on what the church is doing or what those persecuting the church is doing, but it should be focused on what God is doing. And this is where we have to arrive at in our lives as well. It's not so much on the circumstances that are around us. It's not so much about what is happening in and around SDBC. It is what is God doing at this present moment at SDBC. It should be a bit of a wake-up call for all of us. This concept is all over Scripture, but we so easily seem to forget it. Don't focus on those who are coming against you. Don't focus on what you did or didn't do. Focus on God. That's what we're called to do. What's he saying in the midst of whatever you're facing at the moment, whether that be a celebration, whether that be a sadness, whether it be mourning, whether it be heartache and pain, what is God saying in the midst of that? 
In the case of the Thessalonian church, God has judged the situation correctly. And as his blessings are being poured out upon them, in the midst of all the suffering, God continues to pour the blessings out on him. Your outward circumstances are never an indication of what God is doing or an indication of whether you are living a life that is pleasing to God or not. And just like the Thessalonian church, your growth, perseverance, increasing love and faith are true evidence of what God is doing and that you are living a life that is pleasing to him. And Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1.11, To this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. He wants them to be counted as worthy of the call that God has on their lives. And it's again a reflection on what Paul had actually said earlier. Back in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, he said, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and for his glory. In all that Paul is saying, he's assuring the church that they are, by God's power, living this life that they are called to. And he helps them understand that their continuing, the continuing persecution and afflictions they experience are in fact confirmation that they're living the way that they should. It's counter to what they had been taught. We covered that a few weeks ago. Where if you were doing religion correctly, then positive stuff would come back to you. But in living in the right way for Christ, the, church, the world is going to hate you. And so Paul is assuring them that this persecution is proof that you're living the way that you should. And we see in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And there's two sides to God's righteous judgment here. One is the negative about those who are going to come... Sorry, those... Sorry, the negative judgment that's going to come upon those who are afflicting the church at the moment. And the other is the positive that's going to come on those who are actually troubled and 2 Thessalonians 1 8 and 9 says in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his mind and the negative is all about those who trouble God's people and they are part of a larger group who are classified in the above verses, those who do not know God. And God's judgment is going to come on this group and they'll suffer an eternal punishment separated from the presence of God. And we could get all hung up upon what it actually says here. Man, I've clicked through a lot. Sorry. I must have been clicking it while I was talking. So God's judgment is going to come upon this group and they will suffer an eternal punishment separated from the very presence of God. And we can get hung up on all that this means. Uh, when we look at this verse, it's a little bit confusing when it comes to that destruction and separation. But commentators generally agree that this is not two separate incidences. It's the same event. It's one event that's occurring. And what we do know is the destruction that Paul is speaking of is that situation that occurs for those who do not know Jesus. The destruction and separation is the opposite of salvation. Salvation is about being with the Lord always, sharing in God's glory forever. And destruction and separation is the exact opposite of that. And I need to ask, in reading this passage of Scripture, who is that destruction and separation set aside for? 2 Thessalonians 1.8 says, 
in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to leave you wrestle with that on your own. It's pretty black and white, really. It's about those who do not know God and another group, those who do not obey the gospel. To know God is to obey and submit to him, and as we read about it, it's a continuing to be in obedience to God. You know, we make that first step in giving our life to Jesus. That's the foot in the door type thing. But then there's this expectation that we're obedient to him. We submit to him. That is our sanctification, the ongoing growth and glory of knowing God each and every day and making ourselves available for him and his purposes. So we need to continue in obedience. We need to grow in faith. We need to grow in love and steadfastness and endurance. And those who do this, God's grace and blessing will be poured out upon them. And those who don't will be separated eternally. The final point is Paul's prayer. And it's interesting because this is not so much a prayer. This is Paul reporting to the church about how he is, has been praying for them. And it's a very interesting distinction. So 2 Thessalonians 1.11 says, To this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. And Paul wants to let the church know how he is praying for them. He starts off with this, to this end. To this end. He's speaking about the future glory, when we will all stand in God's presence, when we will be with him. Perfect. No more sin, no more heartache, no more pain. And he's saying, with a future glorification in mind, I'm praying for you. With you pursuing God and heading in that direction, I'm praying for you. And he knows that things are going to be difficult. His purpose in this prayer is to make that link with the future goal in the present time. You are going through persecution. You are going through suffering. But keep the end goal in mind. Keep in mind what is going to come to you when you stand in God's presence on that day. And if you remain faithful and obedient, it's not going to be just about getting in the door. It's going to be hearing those words from our Lord and Savior. Well done, my good and faithful servant. What an incredible thing for these people who are facing persecution at the moment. And it's this assurance that Paul wants to give the Thessalonian church. And so Paul prays that God will make them worthy of the call that he has upon their life. It's a little nuance that we don't really understand, most of us. There's absolutely nothing I can do in and of myself that would bring me into a position of being deserving of God's favor. Nothing. It's like believing what I do in the here and now means that God owes me in the future. Crazy thinking. Crazy thinking. And so when God called me, he did so by his free grace. He didn't look at Charlie and go, gee, this guy is awesome. He's got so many things going for him. In fact, it was much the opposite. I wasn't saved because of who I was, who I could become. I was saved because of who God is. His incredible, unconditional love and grace. He crossed the barriers. 
And I, I was unworthy, undeserving to even be considered by God. But then God calls us to live a life worthy of the call. And it is still about God. It's not about me. It's his work through me. It's his grace, his love, his mercy, which continually draws me closer to him. But we're not passive in this. This is the tension and the difficulty in understanding this. God does the drawing and we respond to that. He prompts us. He speaks to us in his word. He speaks to us through sound Christian friends. He speaks to us from those who speak at the front and not just from the pulpit. He speaks to us in dreams and visions. There's not many of us who seem to have those these days, but it does happen. And so God draws and we are called to respond to God's prompting. When we believe God is calling us to do something, we need to say, yes, Lord. And in reality, that's the response we should have in all of our life. The answer is yes, Lord. Now, what was the question? Because we should realize that anything God calls us to do is the best possible thing for us to remain in his will. So when it comes to God, it should always be yes on our part. He wants us to have that closer walk with him. And he draws. In and of myself, I'd be doing other things. And then Paul goes on to say, worthy of his calling may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. What has been spoken about here is the call on our lives. That's quite obvious. Many th people think that the call is about the commencement of the Christian life, but it's so much more than that. You know, the call, people think that's when you first give your life to Jesus, but it goes beyond that. That first step again in accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior is the first link in a chain that goes on. It keeps growing until you do actually stand in glory, perfect in his presence. But there's so many links that get developed along the way. It's about your whole Christian life. And it stands to reason that this isn't about that one-time submission to him. It's about an each and every day submission. It's about a moment by moment submission, committing to him for his purposes. And this is what Paul is speaking about. Sometimes the task before us may seem more than we can do. But if we believe that God has called us to it, he will also equip us for the task and the role that we have to face. We just have to believe that he'll do that. And there is that stepping out in faith. Think about Peter stepping out of the boat. I'm really amazed by this guy. I've been to Israel and, and the sea is tiny. It really is tiny. But man, it whips up really quick. Really quick. And when I think about a severe storm, I didn't get to see a severe storm. I was only there when there's a small storm rolling in. I was like, wow, it would have been really freaky to see how quickly those waves come up. So these waves are crashing over the boat and Jesus walks out. Peter sees him and he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Peter's reliance on God to call. And then Jesus says, come. Pete steps out of the boat. I mean, can you imagine how mad and crazy that is? He steps out of the boat and he puts his foot on water and somehow... 
that holds him up. And then he walks towards Jesus. And I've got to be honest, I don't think the dudes in the boats were too kind to him. I think they're going, Pete, check your feet, dude. That's, that's water, man. That's not, it's not a bridge. And then he sees the waves and the wind and everything howling around him. And something, whether it's his mates in the boat or whether it's the fact he suddenly goes, well, I, I'm actually standing on water. This is like too much. And he begins to sink. And we judge him for that. But the incredible thing for me is he found his security in Jesus. I would have been swimming for the boat. It made more sense to me. And he calls out to Jesus, God help me. Jesus help me. And Jesus lifts him up and restores him. So why did you doubt? And you know, sometimes God calls us to do things which are absolutely insane. It's like, man, I'm not going to do that. But if we step out of the boat, if we do what he calls us to do, and in stepping out of the boat, we suddenly find out it wasn't God, is he going to punish us? No, because our security will be in him. We will call out to him. We'll be asking him to lift us up, and he will lift us up and say, why? You just need to listen to me. Learn my voice. Learn from me. And you and me together, we can do this. That's the God I worship. He wants to walk this path with us. It's an ongoing daily thing. We need to trust him. And why is Paul saying this prayer? Why does he want all this to happen? I've had it up there. I'm great. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. When God's people, by God's power, live the lives they are called to by Christ, when they love as God calls them to love, when they commit to Jesus each and every day so that they grow in faith, when they stand firm under persecution, then Jesus himself will be honored in them. Just like the church of the Thessalonians, any church, any people of God who believe and apply what they've heard tonight will be seen in their humanity to reflect the very image of Jesus. And the question is, is that what you want for SDBC? Is that what you want for your life? And if it is, what are we willing to do to make it happen? What are we willing to change in our lives so that God and Jesus could be reflected through us? Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for your word this evening. I thank you for how it's challenged me afresh. And Lord... I pray for a stirring of hearts. I know you can do it by power of Holy Spirit, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that you will challenge the people who have heard this message tonight, that you will call them into a closer relationship with you, that they will realize, Lord, that they need to commit themselves to you each and every day. Lord, help us never to forget those who serve you faithfully here. Some in tasks that, and roles that are up front, Lord, that we see on a regular basis, some behind the scenes. 
And Lord, I pray that we will become a community of your people who will be continually encouraging each other, strengthening each other in the faith, building each other up, Lord. Not because of who we are as a people, but because of what you are doing in, through and around us. Father, I want to pray for each person here. Those who feel insufficient. Those who feel they have nothing to contribute. Will you just draw them to yourself, Lord? Will you let them realize they are a vital part of your body? And you want to grow them into the role that you have picked out for them. For what you have planned for them. And Lord, will you help us as a people to particularly nurture those who are weaker than ourselves. To encourage them in the word. To proclaim your word to them in a way that just spurs them on. And Father, more than anything, let us be a people who love as the Thessalonian church did, Lord. Let that love have an impact on each other and upon the community around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just stand as we sing our final song for this evening. <clears throat>